Welcome to Grace Bible Fellowship's Sermon Archive. Our prayer is that you will be abundantly blessed as you listen to this sermon delivered by Pastor Teacher Paul Francisco. Join us as we are appointed to the grace found in Jesus Christ alone as recorded in God's Holy Word. Good morning. <clears throat> Good morning. This could get interesting. Um, well, if you're used to my excitement, uh, it'll be turned down way back low. But I am trusting the Spirit to bring His Word. Let me try drink. Have you ever watched a movie where in the end of the movie you were amazed at the reversal of the entire plot through a series of events? We have an English word called peripety. It refers to a sudden turn of events in a story that reverses the intended and expected action. I'm hoping through God's word this morning that you can see that God chooses to use ordinary means such as laryngitis through a series of events to turn the tables and bring about his providential purpose for his people. As a means of recapping, so it's been several weeks since we got to get back into the book of Esther. And so hopefully this um, rings to your mind. If you remember back in chapter 15, seeing a king swears to display his own glory in the kingdom and puts his queen away, Vashti, when she doesn't come to him upon his request. Chapter 2, through the Lord's providence, Esther is taken into the royal palace. And through God, God's providence, she is selected as the new queen. And Mordecai reveals a plot against the king and his life is spared. Chapter 3, instead of Mordecai being honored for his righteous deeds the enemy of God is chosen and Haman is rewarded which leads to the plot and demise of all Jews in the kingdom the death gate is set chapter 4 in the scene of lament we have this great weeping and cries out in the citadel with the upcoming execution of the Jews which leads to an exhortation by Mordecai who challenges Esther to act on behalf of her people and the resolve by Esther to take risks trusting in the deliverance of the Jews by the Lord and then we move to chapter 5 and what we saw was a tale of two plans. Be 
one working for the sake of the kingdom and the other demonstrating the spiritual battle opposing darkness. And now we're in chapter 6. A providential series of events led to God. Tables, enemy of his people, whereas we will see the unfolding of Haman's doom and deliverance for the Lord's people. Okay, this is my galore. Um, you can look on the screen here for my, my points. I call it a, a providential pair of And what we see is first insomnia, verse 1 through 3, uh, a providential encounter, verse 4 through 5, a reversal, verse 6 through 11, and providential shame of fate in the remaining verses. Esther 6 reveals to us that God's timing is perfect. The Lord is going to save Mordecai from Haman's foolishness. It is a revealing of reversal by an epic portion. The true revealing of Esther, chapter 4, verse 14, is about realization. If you turn there, you can read this. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. As part of God preserving Mordecai, we will also see why he did not allow Mordecai to be rewarded earlier by the king. The Lord's plans and timing are for our best and beyond what we could imagine. When we visited the text, the king and Haman had already attended a feast. Esther had prepared a feast after fasting so she could approach the king. She put on her royal robes and uh, made her way to the throne room, knowing that it could cost her her life. She had put her feet to faith, experienced God's favors in the eyes of the king, and with her selfless and strategic plan, had invited the king and Amon to a feast. Now the king was left with great anticipation for Esther's petition. But we were left with this cliffhanger only to hear about a second upcoming meal. She did not just invite the king to another feast. She connected his attendance with his answer to an unnamed request. Look in chapter 5, verse 7 through 8. Then Esther answered, My wish and my request is, if I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it pleases the king to grant my wish, and fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come to the feast that 
but I will prepare for them. And tomorrow I will do so, as the king has said. On the other spectrum of Esther's plan, Haman had a different kind of plan. His plan was fueled by idolatry of self. Convinced of his own significance, he devised an evil plan. Advised by his own foolish family and friends, he plotted the death of Mordecai in the construction of the gallows. So at, so at this point, we are reaching a climatic tension of good versus evil. Both Esther and Haman have plans, but neither know the outcome of theirs. What they didn't know is while they slept that night, the king would have a providential night of insomnia. Look in verse 1 through 3. On that night, the king could not sleep. And he gave orders to bring a book of memorable deeds, the chronicles. And they were read before the king. And it was found written how Mordecai had told about Bithana and Defresh, two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the threshold and who had sought to lay hands on King Asuerus. And the king said, What honor or distinction? has been bestowed on Mordecai for this. The king's young men who attended him said nothing has been done for him. Neither Esther or, or nor had any clue about the pending peril for Mordecai. Isn't it interesting that when Mordecai were sleeping, God was not. And he made sure that he was not the only one awake. God will use this insomnia event to be a major turning point in the story. This is a pivotal point of parody. An insignificant event is nothing short of God's providential hand at work. <coughs> Neither Esther nor Mordecai have any cause for what is about to happen. An unseen power is controlling the reversal of destiny. And Haman's fate is about to be exposed. One commentator says this. In spite of having all the power of the Persian Empire at his disposal, Haman's carefully laid plans were turned against him simply because the king had a sleepless night. Now, now in this text, we are not told what method Assyrius tried to fall asleep. However, we are told that he decided that he was determined. Read him a book. Now, this was not just any book, but it was a long historical records book called Chronicles. Nothing like a big, long, boring book to help you go to sleep, right? But something caught the king's attention as he listened to it and re it read out loud. 
This was the same book that the king had the events of the plot of his death recorded. Of course, this is where if we were watching a movie, we would see a flashback. Turn with me. It's a little bit easier if you read it. Chapter 2, verses 21 through 23. In those days, as Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Big Fen and Teresh, there's those two again, two of the king's eunuchs, who guarded the threshold, became angry and sought to lay hands on King Aswaris. This came to the knowledge of Mordecai, and he told it to Queen Esther. And Esther told the king in the name of Mordecai. When the, when, the, when the affair was investigated and found to be so, the men were both hanged on the gallows. And it was recorded in the book of Chronicles in the presence of the king. This is some coincidence, right? On the eve, when... Haman had brought Mordecai hanged on the gallows. The king reads about Mordecai's faithful service to save the king. In return, the king had those plotting against him hung on the gallows. We are not told at what point the servant had started reading. But we are revealed at some point he eventually heard the event from five years earlier. Five years. The odds of this occurring at this very specific moment is about the same as the last. But with God, there is a hundred percent chance that the king would hear. <coughs> After five years, Mordecai probably had not forgotten that he was not rewarded as helping to save someone's life is not something that you easily forget. God oversees not just the eternal rewards, but also earthly recompenses and recognitions. In his sovereignty, God made sure what had been ignored previously was addressed on this particular night. So the Aswares uh, inquires, and he asks his what honor or distinction has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? And of course, they reveal nothing had been done on behalf of Mordecai. On a night of anxiousness, everyone is sleeping except the king. Everyone slept, but the king encounters a providential insomnia. Now the stage is set for the peripety. And another providential event is about to occur. Look at verse 4 through 5. <coughs> and the king said, Who is in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace to speak to the king about having Mordecai hanged on the gallows that prepared for him. And the king's young men told him, 
Haman is there standing in the court. And the king said, let him come in. So the author does not tell us how long the book of records was read, but at the exact moment that Asuerus realized nothing had been done for Mordecai, Haman was walking in to ask permission to kill him. Talk about a divine timing. Had Haman's eagerness fueled We could pause here for a moment to examine our own lives. Let me ask you this question, beloved. What do we pursue with anticipation and haste? God in this way? Are we guilty of being like Haman, eagerly and hastily pursuing sin? Unfortunately for Haman, his plans are about to run into God's providence. First, Haman was summoned, and then he was surprised. It just happens that at the king's inquiry, who is in the court? The only one who was mentioned was Haman. With this only thought in mind of petitioning the king to hang Mordecai, Have you ever had something you wanted to ask someone only to find out that their initial engagement with you in conversation is so unexpected that you never get around to why you approached them in the first place? Haman was determined, but then got distracted. Unsurprisingly, at the thought of being honored by all. So Haman happens to show up at just the right moment. When the king is thinking about Mordecai after a night of insomnia, then Haman goes to the one expectation only. However, distracted from his own thoughts of evil to unknowingly encounter a matter concerning Mordecai. A providential encounter following a providential night in insomnia. Now to a providential dialogue of honor, but with a twist in the story. A providential reversal is about to be revealed. Look a little closer at the next event here, beginning with verse 6. So Haman came in, and the king said to him, which should be done to the man who the king delights to honor? And Haman said to himself, Whom would the king delight to honor more than me? More than me. Who would delight to honor? Haman was so prideful that there was no room in his mind for anyone. Other than himself, no one in his mind could have been the object of the king's honor. No other, <clears throat> no other would enter his mind. As Jason Myers writes, a finite, as finite creatures, we cannot fully grasp but God's infinite revulsion against pride's rebellion. God hates pride. 
What makes pride so singularly repulsive to God is the way that pride contends for supremacy with God himself. Pride sets itself in opposition to God. The only fitting response is for God to oppose the proud. Other sins lead the sinner further away from God. But pride is particularly heinous that it attempts to elevate the sinner above God. <clears throat> Let us consider a few scriptures that speak to the sin. Psalm 18.27 People, but the haughty eyes you bring down. Proverbs 16.18 Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Jude chapter 6 and the angels who did not stay with their own position of authority but left their proper dwelling. He has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Saints, I pray that in our relationship with the king of kings, we are never like Haman and thinking, of course, he wants to honor me because I'm really important. We should always be amazed by God's goodness to us. Not, not desensitized to it. If we want to contend with pride, we must think more on Christ and his death and resurrection on behalf of sinners. However, if we are told that he decided that he would have his, sorry, I'm struggling here, guys. Haman's pride goes so deep that his heart of pride is revealed in his answer. Look in verses 7 on. And Haman said to the king, For the man whom the king delights to honor, let royal robes be brought which the king has worn, and the horse that the king has ridden, on whose head a royal crown is set. And let the robes and the horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble officials. Let them dress the man whom the king delights to honor, and let them lead him on the horse through the square of the city. Proclaim me before him, thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights. <coughs> Haman's reply to what is to be done for the one the king wants to honor shows us something. This is not the first time he had considered such a topic. It just rolls of his mind and his His craving for honor and significance was such a passion in his life, even if it meant killing an enemy for it. Let me ask you, what do you desire more than anything else? What takes priority over everything in your life? What is it that if you were given the opportunity, you drop everything else? 
there is only one pursuit worthy of such passion, passion and priority. Fortunately, we too often settle for the table scraps of this world. For Haman, the desire for personal glory and honor was apparent. Without God's grace, we are like Haman seeking what cannot satisfy our souls. If we are to look into the mirror of the word, then all should see Haman and be terrified and beg God for mercy to save us from ourselves. We need to ask him to empower us with the Holy Spirit in light of Christ for a true and consistent repentance from the sins that entice us. May I can't speak. May he empower us to confess our sin to someone in our lives that we can be accountable to and make no provision for it in our lives. Can you imagine laying out so many specific details to express something you desired so passionately on to to them being commanded not just to let the person you dislike the most on the planet fully experience what you have longed for but to lead you through but to lead them through it you see Haman wanted to be honored by all especially Mordecai spoiler alert Mordecai would be the one honored with Haman leading the way this is precisely what happens next. Look in verse 10 on. Then the king said to Haman, Hurry, take the robes and the horse, as you have said, and do so to Mordecai the Jew who sits at the king's gate. Leave out nothing that you have mentioned. So Haman took the robes and the horse, and he dressed Mordecai and led him through the square of the city proclaiming before him thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor the providential irony and reversal comes full circle here now you may have seen it coming because you're familiar with the story but Haman never did he experienced a moment of, uh, that's not what I was thinking. He never in his wild imagination, or in this case, nightmare, thought he would be having to bring honor to the one who refused him. To the one who refused him honor. honor. Mordecai, on receiving the end of this honor, probably never thought it either. See, Mordecai wins the sweepstakes. And I'm sure it was a bit nerve-wracking for him. What do you think it was like for both men when Haman approached the king's gate seeking Mordecai with horses and one of the king's robes? 
I wouldn't blame Mordecai at all for having a little bit of fear and anxiety. Perhaps he may have thought, well, the time has come for my death. Or maybe he was contemplating a fight. Can you picture the scene at the, the king's gate? Instead of having Haman initiating punishment and violence of Mordecai, he was declaring the king's delight in honoring his sworn enemy. Instead of sackcloth weeping, Mordecai wore royal robes and was being praised. Instead of crying through the city, he was being led with cries of honor. Do you see the providential irony here? Do you see the Lord's hand of reversal being enacted? This is what Christ does for us. Our sufferings are but momentary afflictions. And our mourning is turned into dancing. If you look at what the Apostle Paul speaks about in our hope in this reversal, you can turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I'm going to read verse 8 through 11. Actually, I'm going to ask one of you guys to help me out. <laughs> you got your Bible. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 through 11. <clears throat> and then um, if you, um, brother, if you can read verse 16 through 18 right after he's done. Yes, sir. Verse 12. Yeah. Verse 16. Isn't this a beautiful hope? The ultimate reversal. Being flipped upside down because it's... Now let us consider the providential insult of shame and Haman's fate being revealed in the next few verses. After the city square honor tour... Mordecai returns to work while Haman runs home. Specifically, the author describes Haman's hurry, mourning, and shame at home. Then Mordecai returned to the king's gate, but Haman hurried to his house mourning and with his head covered. That morning, Haman had hurried off 
with ill-advised plans against Mordecai. However, after his horrible start to the day, he hurries home. The one who caused so many Jews to grieve over their pending elimination was suddenly mourning over his humiliation and Mordecai's exaltation. You see, beloved, when we seek to be honored rather than being honorable or giving honor, we should not be surprised when God grants us humility. Humility is what the Lord desires of his people. Listen to these scriptures concerning humility. James chapter 4 verse 6. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Psalm 25, 9. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. Romans 12, verse 10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Honor. Haman's pride goes so deep that his heart is not, it reveals his desire for honor. But in Romans 10, the Apostle Paul tells us, show honor. It's by showing honor that we show that we are loving one another. It doesn't say seeking honor. In seeking unmitigated personal honor, Haman found ultimate humiliation. In a matter of hours, Haman's personal confidants switched from advocating for Mordecai's doom to acknowledging Haman's. Look at verse 13. And Haman told his wife, Zeresh, and all his friends everything that had happened to him. Then his wise man and his wife Zeresh said to him, If Mordecai, before whom you have begun to fall, is of the Jewish people, you will not overcome him, but will surely fall before him. This is a providential shame at the hands of God. And it was now unfolding a plan to reveal Haman's fate. Another part in the Lord's providence as a parody of events unfold. And now the time had come for the next event. A feast to be forever remembered. Verse 14. While they were talking with him, the king's eunuchs arrived and hurried to bring Haman to the feast. What Esther had prepared. You see, while Haman had been proclaiming Mordecai's honor, Esther had been preparing preparing food. Notice this is the only mention of Esther in the whole chapter. And it was in regard to the second feast she was preparing. Also notice that Mordecai, what Mordecai had experienced was not part of his own grand design. 
Esther was not leading the charge. Mordecai was not calling for change. So who was in control? I think you know the answer to this question. You see, God may most be present when he seems so hidden from us. While Esther and Mordecai were sleeping, he was at work. And Haman's world was turned upside down. There's no doubt that his hand was spinning that had taken place. I think this serves as a warning for us. You see, our fall could be just as sudden and inescapable as Haman's. Going from the present comforts of this world we can be immediately brought to face a holy God in an instant. Are you prepared for such a time as this? We live in such a fast-paced life that we often don't even consider our death. You see, eternity is coming faster than we think. The problem is, so many in our world are not prepared for death. None of Haman's plans had involved honoring Mordecai. He certainly didn't plan to be hanged from the same gallows he constructed. You see, he bought into the lie that many fall into in our day. The lie that life is all about making our own names great and being honored. Friends, the world does not revolve around us. But there is a great God who tells the world to revolve. And he is at the center of all things from the highest honor is due. Consider all the seemingly natural turn of events that has occurred here. Through a providential insomnia and a providential encounter, God's providence brings about a providential reversal in a parity. A providential parity to the detriment of Haman's shame and fate. Perhaps he may have thought, well, I have more time. Our God is so great. He is so powerful that He can work without miracles. He can work through the ordinary events of billions of humans' lives through all time to accomplish His eternal purposes and his ancient promises. Consider the resurrection of Christ. This was a breathtaking moment in all divine history. All hope seemed lost. Satan, no doubt, was convinced that though he failed to wipe all out the messianic line, 
He had done something even greater and taken out the Messiah. Little did he know or understand that all of his schemes were simply accomplishing God's great reversal. Both Satan and death celebration quickly turned to eternal defeat as Christ, as our victor, crushed the grave and rose victoriously. The providential irony leads to palpitations of our heart. What greater love is there than this? That Jesus rules over all with authority and power and he will one day abolish death forever. The providential reversal is coming against sin's curse where the effects of the fall will be forever removed and we will see the new heavens and the new earth the great reversal when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Christian, do you look forward to this day? The day when there will be no more tears or death? Do you see the providential hand of God working in your life in everything? even in the seemingly mundane and ordinary things of life. We must trust in Christ's supremacy in our life, taste and see that He is good. Friends, in our daily lives, spiritual warfare rages. The flesh, the world, and the devil do not take holidays I ask you, are you being used for honorable or dishonorable use this morning? You can't rely on your own strength. That's certainly evidence with my voice this morning. And encourage to carry yourself on throughout life. Living for yourself or earning your way in God's favor is fruitless. Friends, come to the one. Come to the one who rescued you. Rescued rebels like you and me by his blood. As we close, I'll read from you to me the greatest hope verses in all of the Bible. Romans chapter 8. It says, and we know. We know for those who love God. That means if you're a Christian, if your life has been transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit through God's Word and His Spirit dwells within you, if you love God, some things, right? Maybe the things we don't want. Maybe the things we do want. No, it says all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. What's his purpose? Verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined 
to be conformed, here it is, beloved, to the image of his son. To the image of his son. In order that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. Praise be to God for that truth. Let us pray. God, I thank you for allowing me to speak. I pray this morning everyone here heard what you wanted them to hear. Lord, I think it's not up to me, my strength, my voice, or anything. But you love a rebellious people so much that you sent your son Jesus Christ to live the life that we could not, die the death that we deserve, and rise triumphantly in victory so that we can have the rewards of eternal life. Thank you, Jesus. Help us never to forget the cross. And remind us, no matter what we're going through, there are momentary afflictions compared to eternity. And that we can wait the joyful hope knowing that your divine reversal is coming into full fruition for those who love you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord that his word is sufficient for our every need. Join us next time as we continue our study of God's infallible word. We would also love to have you join us in person at Grace Bible Fellowship. We meet together each Sunday at 9 a.m. for connections and at 10.30 a.m. for our worship service. We are located at the Baptist Student Ministry at 101 East University near UTEP. If you have any questions, you can dial 915-308-1208 or visit our website at www.gracebibleelpaso.org. We would love to see you this Sunday as GBF gathers to proclaim Christ, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom that we may present every man complete in Christ.